Okay, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Sermon today will be on a popular topic that people love talking about all the time, and the topic is death. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 to 17. Please follow with me. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll commit this time to him. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We thank you for the deposit of your spirit within our hearts. And we ask that you would grant us the grace and the wisdom to be able to understand what you have given us today, that we might apply it to our lives and glorify you through it. Father, if there's any here who don't know you as their Lord and Saviour, Father, I pray that today would be that day. And I thank you once again for this precious fellowship we have with you and with one another because of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. If you um, have been watching any television at all lately or news, you will notice that one of the most popular topics on TV is death. It's pretty hard to, to watch a it's pretty hard to see a, any news service without some sort of death being mentioned. So whether there is a um, whether there is a, an earthquake in Afghanistan that has killed thousands of people and you see them dragging bodies up out of the uh, rubble, whether it's murders, whether it's what's happening in Israel with thousands of people being killed already um, and the number will only grow. Um, it's seeing death on our TVs and seeing death on the internet and various other forms of social media has become like a staple diet for us. Okay, But sometimes when you see, in fact, we have a lot of video games that have a lot of death as well and killing, and killing in them as well. So seeing death is, is, is a st almost a staple diet for most of us in our generation. Um, but often it's seems very distant and far. Most of the things we see are far away places and don't seem to affect us very much. But when death hits home, it's a little bit of a different story, isn't it? 
and we've had people uh, in our congregation who have lost their loved ones, uh, loved ones recently, uh, and uh, struggling with the grieving of that loss at this particular time. But death isn't one of those things that we tend to want to think about very much or meditate on very much because thoughts of death with respect to ourselves um, often brings about uncertainty and fear, especially if you don't know God. Okay, Until death comes knocking on your door, um, people generally tend to avoid thinking about it too much because it engenders fear. Some cultures... And to overcome that particular uh, challenge about the unknowns of death, have um... right there, Don. Yeah, good. Okay. Some people, some generations, or some cultures have defined what it means to have a good death. Okay, so if you were living in the Viking days, a good death would be dying on the battlefield, okay? And if you died on the battlefield, the promise was the gates of Valhalla would be open to you and you would be triumphant in your entry there. If you're a Spartan, which I definitely am not, um, the same thing occurred. The best death was a death on a battlefield. It was a glorious death. And so I suppose that would be the way you motivate people to go out and die and get killed. Um, but most cultures have a, a sense of what's a good death and what's a bad death. I mean, in our culture, I looked up good death. If you typed it into your thing, almost every article came up about dying peacefully uh, or dying without pain or dying that sort of way. Do you know what I mean? Like people who are dying in nursing homes and stuff like that. Um, so what does the Bible say about a good death? Does the Bible speak about a good death? Actually, it does. It speaks about a good way to die, and it also speaks about a bad way to die. The Bible says there is a good death that should be pursued, that should be chased after. And the Bible also says there is a bad death that should be avoided at all costs. And when we look at this passage, this passage speaks about baptism. But what I want you to understand is that baptism... In every case, pictures death. Okay, a lot of culture, a lot of cultures and uh, and denominations say that oh, baptism is about washing away uh, your sins. No, baptism is about death. That's what baptism is is uh, is picturing. When it comes to baptism, um, there is a baptism, and we'll look at some of these that that are covered in this particular passage. Um, but they generally refer to, and they always refer to, really death. They're picturing some type of death. Okay, So when it comes to baptism in the New Testament, we always see two prerequisites before a person can get baptised. Okay, And so the Ethiopian eunuch, when he was having a chat with uh, Philip, the evangelist, while he was riding his chariot or in his chariot, and, and, and Philip had explained the gospel to him, and the Ethiopian said, wow, well, that's just fantastic stuff. I'm going to believe that. And, and then they, they came across some water, and the Ethiopian asked Philip, you know, what's stopping me from getting baptized now? And Philip answered and said, well, if you believe with all of your heart, you can be baptized. So the first prerequisite to being baptized is that you would believe in Jesus with all of your heart. 
Okay. The second prerequisite is you needed water and enough water to actually go down and under. Okay. Sprinkling does not cut it because the picture is a person being buried. Okay. And if you haven't got enough water, that picture sort of gets lost completely. So the two prerequisites for that. Now, Romans chapter 6, which Brother, Brother Praveen read for us this morning, says that when we are baptized, okay, or when a person gets saved, they are baptized into Jesus. Okay? Baptized into Jesus. Now, if baptism is being immersed under and pictures death, is it the same thing? It is. Because the Bible then tells us in Romans chapter 6 that not only are we baptized into Jesus, but it says we have been baptized into his death. So baptism means an immersion within, okay, in something which pictures death. It pictures something that's happened to a person. Baptism doesn't actually change a person. Baptism is an, is an outward declaration of what's happened in a spiritual sense. And so if you go back to the verse 11, John the Baptist here, and they've asked him some questions. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So in this particular place, we're seeing three baptisms, three types of baptism. Okay, The first of all, John says that he was baptizing and his baptism was all about repentance. Now, repentance means to change your mind about something. Repentance means to, well, I was going in that direction because I believed that thing. But now, you know what? I don't believe that anymore. So I'm not going to go in that direction anymore. I'm turning around. Okay, I'm doing a 180. And I've changed my mind, and I'm going to go in this direction now. But, uh, repentance means to change your mind about something, and then the fruits will come from that change of mind. So John's message was clear. John was saying and preparing people, because he was saying, the Messiah is coming. Get yourselves ready. Get your lives sorted out, because when he comes, he is going to judge. Okay, He is going to See who's genuine and who's not. And he actually warns the Pharisees who would come to be baptized too. And he says to them, who warned you guys to come and get baptized and flee the wrath to come? Produce fruits that are, that are meat, that are worthy of repentance. In other words, you guys aren't showing any difference in your lives. What's the point of you getting baptized if you're still the same as what you were before? So the idea of John's baptism was that there was some change that's happened in your life. Going under the water in John's baptism was an open declaration that you were making a new start. Your old life was, was, was gone and that you were now living a new life in preparation for the promised one who was Jesus. Okay? The water showed your death of your old self and the start of a new type of life, a new path. That I'm taking. When you look at that, it didn't actually picture a spiritual thing rather than 
a change of mind about something. Ever heard of people who have near-death experiences? Yeah. Interesting how people make monumental decisions when they, they get very close to dying. Okay, when something dramatic happens in their life and, and they have to stare death in the face, all of a sudden they make decisions about how different they want their life to be now. And so that's a good picture of what repentance really is, where a person faces the facts about something, has been living a delusion for much of their life, and all of a sudden say, what, have I, what am I doing? What have I been doing up till now? Because death has a way of clarifying the picture of life, doesn't it? And they may not even believe in God, but they, all of a sudden they realize that they might have been chasing things that had no value at all. And maybe now they've decided to love their family. Maybe now they've decided to live a life that's not filled with types of things they realize were destructive. So that's a bit like that. And there are plenty of people in the world who make such commitments in their lives for various reasons. But here it says that, so that's John's repentance, John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. And so here comes Jesus and he says, well, the one who's coming after me is much greater than me. I'm not even worthy to hold his shoes. And he says, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so the baptism of the Holy Ghost means you're baptized, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, which means you've been completely covered by him and surrounded by him. And we know that that means being given new life, but that also means the death of an old life, okay, in a spiritual sense. Once a person is baptized in the Holy Ghost, and mind you, that only happened after Pentecost because the Holy Ghost had not yet been given until the day of Pentecost. So people before that could not be baptized in the Holy Ghost. It only happens after as part of the New Testament, the new agreement between God and man. It, ha it, had to, it can only occur after Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. The Bible says that when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, when you are immersed in the Holy Ghost, you become a new creature. The old is gone. The old is dead. The old does not exist anymore. It's passed away and a new life has begun. And that life is in God's sight. Okay? God sees that. You may not even necessarily see it yourself, but from God's perspective, it's done. Okay? You are no longer the same person that you were before. You have a completely new identity that's why romans chapter 6 verse 6 says knowing this that our old man is crucified with him our old man not the new man all right our old man so when jesus died on the cross the bible says that our old man the old flesh the old me died on that cross with him okay that, my friends, is a good death. That's a very good death. Because if your old man is dead, if, if your old man was buried in Christ, okay, and died on that cross with him, then you have now a new man. 
you are now a new creature in Christ. So that's the good death. But then now there's a bad death. Because it says that Jesus can not only baptize you with the Holy Ghost, but he can baptize you with fire. And fire is not a good thing. Fire represents the lake of fire, which the Bible specifically refers to as the second death. And it's being immersed in that lake. The reason it's a lake is that you are buried within it, never to come up again. And Jesus says that he has that authority. In John chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, it says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, which means gives life to them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So who's the judge of all men now? It's Jesus Christ. Now why does Jesus get the, the nod to now do all the judging? Because he is the perfect and impartial judge. You see, he not only represents God, the perfect being who can judge all of mankind, but he can actually represent mankind because he is a man. And so he can actually look at it from both perspectives. And no one can say, you don't understand me because you've never walked in my shoes. He said, when Jesus judges... No man can say to him, you've never walked in my shoes, because he has. He's walked in all of our shoes. And, he's, and, he, and we killed him as a result of walking in our shoes. That is a bad death. That death will last forever. And it's not the death that you want to be part of. It's a death that you really need to avoid as much as possible. But both of them are pictures of baptism. You're baptized with the Holy Ghost or you're baptized with fire. And they're the two options. You can repent, but unless you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you won't have new life. You won't have a new identity. And the only option for you is to be baptized in fire. But now we have a baptism of Jesus in this passage too. You see, Jesus was baptized, wasn't he? Okay, so why was Jesus baptized? I mean... Was he repenting like John's baptism? Was repenting of sin and saying, I've now got to change my life? Well, no, because Jesus didn't sin. So Jesus didn't have anything to really change his mind about and say, look, I've been wrong all this time. I'm now going to change my ways. He didn't do anything like that. Did Jesus have to be saved? No, Jesus didn't have to be saved. In fact, he's the saviour. He's the one who's doing the actual saving. So why was Jesus baptized for? Well, what did I tell you baptism was a picture of? Death. Jesus began his ministry when he was baptized. And that baptism would picture the death that he was going to take on for all of mankind. The beginning, when he got baptised, he was saying, now it's beginning. And this is the road I'm heading down. His declaration when he got baptised was that he would give his life for the world. 
and that he would rise again from the grave. This was an open declaration of what he was setting out to do. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus is praying to his father here. It says there, and Jesus answered them. John 12, 23. It says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Well, praise God for that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honour. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. For what cause? To die. And he's saying, can I ask God, save me from this? No, no, he came for this. He came to die. The baptism of Jesus, in a real sense, was that he would be crucified and buried. And if you remember, uh, John and James and their mother was... Um, their mother was somehow walking, I think, towards Jerusalem with them. And their, their mum was trying to get them to, to get a, a, a stronger position. You know, when Jesus finally takes up his throne in Israel as the king, rightful king of Israel, go to Jesus and ask him, can you, can you be sitting on his left and right hand? Right? You do. You don't, you don't get it if you don't ask, right? So they went to Jesus and never asked Jesus, oh, oh Master, you know, when, you know, when you become the king... Right? and you have ultimate power, can we sit on your left and right hand? And Jesus says to them, well, are you sure you understand what you're asking here? And they said, yeah, we can. And then he says to them, can you actually be baptised with the baptism that I'm going to be baptised with? And do you know what baptism he was going to be baptised with? To die. So in essence he was saying, you know exactly what you're asking here? Yes, first of all, it's not my, my place to give. But second of all, you actually understand what you're asking. Because I'm going, my baptism is to die and to be buried. Can you do that? And their response was, sure we can. We can do that. And he says to them, yeah, you will. Because you are going to die. That's why he says, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The death of Jesus is the fundamental truth that someone who links, the, someone is linking themselves to, identifying themselves with when they choose to be baptized. 
when 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 a person when it when a person says I believe in Jesus, what they're saying, what does that belief entail? That belief entails that I that I've trust that his death on that cross was for me. And that I believe the blood that he shed atones for my sin. And I believe that when they buried him three days later, he actually rose again from the grave and he lives forevermore and he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what they're declaring. So when a person gets baptized as a Christian, they're declaring this to everyone else. And they're declaring that I died with him. My old self died with him. And I've put my trust in him and he's given me new life. The greatest and most important and influential death in all of history was Christ's. No other death comes anywhere close. It is the, the, the most impactful event in the history of all mankind. And the question then is, if a person is not willing to die to their old self, how can they receive something new? And the answer is they can't. Unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. Listen to his words. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And you might ask, why would I hate my life? Why would you hate your life? Well, you might hate your life. Because you've realized that you are a sinner condemned to eternal destruction. Because despite any effort that you may have, that you try and put in, you are no good. That as the Apostle Paul says, no good thing dwelleth in me. That I'm not a good person who is deserving of heaven, but I deserve hell. I am a sinner by nature. The conflicts that I have going in my mind, even when I want to do something good, is always bad. I'm rebellious at heart. I don't love as I'm supposed to love. I can't put God first the way I'm supposed to put God first, even if I might want to do those things. And the question then is, how can you not hate that life? Because if you love that life, and that's first, and, and, and you're not willing to let go of that, then how can you accept what's being offered to you? You have to let go of something to get something new. Why would I hate my life? Well, why would I love it? It's probably a better question. If I love my life and myself so much that I value my life, with all its problems and all of its sin and all of its fallenness and say, no, no, I don't need what you're offering me. I'm happy with what I've got. Then the Bible says that that corn abides alone. It doesn't bring forth any fruit. So many people in this world will not turn to Christ because they have too much pride in their own life. How dare you tell me that I'm no good? How dare you tell me that I can't work my way to heaven? How dare you tell me that there is no hope for me aside from you? Oh, Jesus, who do you think you are saying you are the only way to the Father? Who do you think you are? You say, I am the way, the truth and the life. 
Are you saying that I've got no life? Yes, he is. Is he saying that I don't know the way, that, that we don't know the way? Yes, he is. So many people will not turn to him because they have too much pride in themselves. So many people will be shut out of heaven because they love themselves more than they love God. And so Jesus plainly says, Father, how can I ask you to save me from this hour if this is the very reason I came into this world to save mankind and to take their punishment on myself? This is the death that changed the world. The most notable, glorious and perfect death. As gruesome as it was, it was what we needed and has become the only door to salvation. And so when a person gets baptised, they are declaring that they died. And they died with him. And they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. And we are called to then serve God. Okay, So you need to first, before you can ever serve God in any meaningful way, because the Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. The Bible says before you can ever serve and seek to serve God and do anything that's of any eternal value at all, the Bible says you have to first die and God's got to give you a new identity. Okay, And then when you have that new identity and he's put new life in you, then you can start walking in the works that he's got prepared for you already and he'll empower you to do those works as well. And so then he says in John 12, 26, he says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, listen to these words, him will my father honour. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the man who chooses to serve Jesus as his Lord, God will honour. That is a wonderful promise for us. To serve Christ in this life brings honour from God. But none of our works save us. We have to be saved first and then we can work. Some denominations mistakenly teach, and teach that baptism is a necessary work for salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says there is no human effort that you can ever do that will save you or add to the perfect work that Jesus performed. It's only Jesus that can grant you eternal life. It's only Jesus that can save you from your own sin. It is only the blood of Christ that cleanses a person. The water of baptism doesn't wash away anything. In fact, it doesn't wash away much at all because you're not there with a bar of soap, soaping yourself off uh, and cleaning yourself up. It's just going down and up. It's going in and out. It's only the blood of Christ that cleanses a man and a woman from all of their sin. And, and baptism simply says, I've died. And he's actually raised me up to a completely new life that I didn't know before. And I'm identifying myself with him as well. It's a beautiful thought to think that God honours those, though, who serve the Lord. And so Romans 6.3 says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ, were baptised into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death, like 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We should walk in newness of life because of that. You don't work to try to get new. You work because you are new. And then he says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall, also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Planted together. Yes, we are buried. And in that death, God grants us life. A person is baptized into Christ Jesus when they are saved. And they are baptized at that same time in the Holy Spirit and granted new life. And that's a simple result of God's grace through simple faith. Faith, what's faith? Faith in Jesus. Turn with to first Peter chapter three with me. Some denominations teach that if you don't get baptized, you can't be saved which is once again a complete denial of what Jesus did for, for us on the cross. They teach that salvation comes not just by the work of Christ, but by our works coupled together with his. That is completely false doctrine. And those types of people condemn the thief on the cross who Jesus promised paradise to, because what work did the thief do next to Jesus as he was dying? None. He didn't even get baptised in water, that's for sure. Water baptism is not necessary for salvation. But some of them twist scripture. And we're going to look at one of those now. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. But which also, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are some who teach that because this says that we are saved by water, eight souls were saved by water, that water baptism actually saves the person. It's complete nonsense. Water baptism simply simply teaches or is picturing your baptism in Christ, that you've died with him. But it's an interesting passage, isn't it? It compares the death of Jesus, the just for the unjust, and the, to the saving of those eight people that were in the ark while God was destroying the world in judgment with a flood. And here it says the water saved them. How did the water save them? I mean, the water was destroying everyone. The water was flooding and, and drowning every, everyone except for those few that were in that box. How did the water save them? 
Doesn't water here represent the judgment of God and death? Well, yes, it does. That's what I said to you, right? Water represents death. It represents death on unrepentant sin. And the only ones who made it were the eight in the ark. How did it save them? Well, if you, if you recall the story of Noah, it says that the whole world had become corrupt. The whole world. And violence filled the earth. And one of the things that the flood actually did was not just judge the world, but it cleansed the world and it saved Noah and his family. How long do you think it would have been before they were the victims of violence and death? Being the only ones who stood out in a world that had gone completely the other way. The flood meant both death and life at the same time. But I want you to, I want you to think about something. The ones that were saved, where were they? They were in an ark. What's an ark? Who's got an ark at home? Anyone got an ark? What is an ark? Do you remember that the, there's another thing called an ark in the Bible, right? And that's the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant. Hmm. What are they doing with that Ark? They were carrying around. Do you know what an Ark is? An Ark is a box. It's a box. That's essentially what it is. And if you look at the Ark that, Jesus, that, that Noah built, it's a box. It didn't have, a, it didn't have a, a helm with sails and things. It was exactly a box. Um, can I ask you a question when are they going to put you in a box there's, there's one time I know when they're going to put us in a box and what happens when they put you in that box they bury you right unless you get burned up with a fire some different way that box was a picture of Christ. When we enter into Christ, it's being baptized into his what? His death. You know what the box represents? Jesus. And when you enter into the box, yeah, you're going to die. Okay? Because all around you, coming down on you, is the judgment of God. Okay? The rain came down from above, the rain came up from underneath, and all around you is death. Okay? But the box gets lifted up above that and is sealed. You see, no water got in the box. Okay? You were safe from the water in the box, and you would come out of that box, whereas everyone else would not. The box... That ark is a picture of Christ. And stepping into that box is the same, the Bible says, about him on that cross. We actually enter into him. When you trust what he did, the Bible says that you are brought into him. And then the door is shut and sealed. You see the Holy Spirit? Seals us. 
until that day of redemption, when finally the doors fling open and we walk out again. At the moment, we are in the box. And one day, the Bible says that we will be glorified and the doors will be opened and we will see Christ and be like him. That's the, the hope that we have. So 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The judgment of water, which represents death, saves us because the water judges sin. But we are safe within the box. Okay? And that box is Christ. That ark is Christ who bore all of our judgment. But you know what? Jesus was waterproof. He didn't get affected by the water. Death had no hold on Jesus. It couldn't hold him down because there was no sin. It could point to him. For. Death had no hold on Jesus. And it can't touch you and me in that box because it is perfectly waterproof. And so Peter says, baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God. How do you get a good, an answer of a good conscience towards God? Well, let me put it another way. That's having a testimony that Jesus has saved you. You can have a good conscience toward God because Jesus has paid for all of your sins not because of anything good that is in you or me. And by the resurrection of Jesus, I know that God accepted the payment because he rose again from the grave. If Jesus didn't rise again from the grave, how would we ever know that God actually accepted it? But the fact that he conquered death, the fact that he rose again from the grave tells us that God the Father accepted that payment for us. And so we can have huge confidence that we can answer God with a clear conscience. And I want to bring for you one more example. The final example that points to the water as death is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, which is another like obscure passage which mentions baptism that most people read and they go, What? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers, this is the Apostle Paul speaking about the, the, the people who came before him in his generation, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And we're all, look what it says there, baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So what is this talking about? How can a person be baptized into Moses? What does it mean that they were, that they were, um, they passed through under the cloud and through the sea. Remember I said to you, what's water a picture of? Death, right? Okay, let's go back to that story. Turn to Exodus chapter 14, verse 19. 
Exodus chapter 14, verse 19. Because just as the ark was a picture of Christ, during Noah's day, Moses is a picture of Christ too. Moses is a picture of Jesus. Okay, And so there's a, there's a choice that they have to make, these people, about who they follow. Exodus 14, verse 19. And so God has saved Israel out of Egypt. They've walked across a, a, a particular area of land and they've reached the sea. But now, hang on a sec, they're stuck because they can't go forward and behind them is Pharaoh's armies on their way. Let's have a read. Let's see what, what the picture is here. Exodus 14, 19. And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel, removed. That means it moved and went behind them to protect them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. Now look at this. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were like a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave, that, that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength, while the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So Pharaoh's armies were about to overtake them and kill them. Okay, And you had men, women and children trying to cross the Red Sea here 
all going at a very slow pace, but God's slowing down the enemy behind them from being able to catch them so that he's got their wheels falling off and all types of things happening. But by the time that they were reaching the other end, God says to Moses, put your hand over the sea again because I'm going to wipe out these things, these people. And he does. So the water became an avenue for life for those that trusted in Moses and followed him. They could have stayed back there. They could have stayed on the, on the, on the shore and said, I'm not going. Can you imagine? You have a look and there's two walls of water on either side and Moses saying, come on, follow me. Follow in here. And you're looking and there's water on both sides and you're thinking, I'm going nuts here. And if I walk into there, I'm probably going to die. But hey, what options have I got? I've got these guys behind me who want me dead. And I've got God's servant in front of me saying, follow me into this. And it says that they were baptized into Moses. Why? Because they had to trust him to bring them through that, those walls of death. And God saved them. And that water saved them, but destroyed Pharaoh's armies. And Pharaoh's armies are like a picture of sin. Sin that continues to pursue you. But God has actually separated us from our sin. Okay? So when the Holy Spirit, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you are saved, you are separated from your sin. But you have to go through death. You have to step into the ark. You have to be willing to follow through this particular path. Because how many avenues did the, the Israelis actually have? They had one narrow road through a sea with walls of water. They had no other option. Either I go through this or I'm dead. And they chose life. And God was glorified because of it. The Israelites were baptized unto Moses. Moses is a picture of Jesus. How did they get saved? They simply said, I'll trust you. This is what Jesus does for us. Even though we pass through death, even though our old self will die, we are guided by Christ through death and will not suffer the judgment of God. We will come out the other side with life, separated from our sin. When we come out of the ark, we come out to a new life. The sea purged the evil away. The flood purged the evil away, but at the same time ended up saving those who trusted God. And the same picture is presented to us by the blood that God asked the Jews to paint on the doors of their homes. Do you remember when God's saving them out of Egypt? He said, I want you to, to, I want you to, to sacrifice a lamb. I want you to, to um, take the blood, put it in a bowl, and then I want you to, to mark the doors of your homes, the, the frames of the doors, 
um, the lintels and the, and the beams. And he says, and when I send the angel of death over, he's not going to come in. You know what it's a picture of? Christ. You're in that box. But you're safe in that box until judgment passes over. And it's only the blood that stops him from getting in. That's what happens when a person puts their faith in Christ. They were surrounded by death. Can you imagine being in your home, if you're an Israelite in that time, and you hear the screams of people around you whose firstborns are dying in front of their, in front of their eyes? As the angel of death passes over and judges every family that doesn't have that, that blood on the door of the Egyptian families, and you hear death all around you, and you're covered and surrounded by the angel of death all around you, but he can't get into the door. He can't get in. That's what Jesus does to a person when they simply trust him. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they were ashamed of themselves for they'd sinned and they tried to cover up with what? By sewing together fig leaves. And God says to them, hmm, no good, doesn't work. So God takes an animal, probably a lamb, and he kills it and he covers them with the skin of that animal. He said, that's a good covering. That'll be the right one for you. Once again, you're covered with death. But in that death, there's life. And that animal that died is a picture of Jesus who died on the cross. Whichever way you look at it, my dear friends, we all deserve to be buried and judged. But praise God that he sent his spotless lamb into the world to take my judgment and yours. He went through death for all of us. He experienced death for all of us so that we would not have to experience eternal death. Let me ask you this morning, have you died a good death? Have you died? If you haven't died a good death, the Bible says that you have a terrible death awaiting. There is only one avenue that God has made. There is only one ark. There is only one way. And that way is through Jesus. You want a glorious death? That's the death. Die to your old self and put your trust in him because he will give you eternal life. Your ark, your saviour. You will be sealed and death cannot touch you. And so John 12, 25 says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If you've not chosen to die yet, if you've chosen to save your own life, if you think that you can save your own life, if your life is so precious to you that you think you're the only one who can take care of yourself and do it your own way, then you must enter death and judgment alone. Alone. 
and you will be forever alone and you will only have yourself to blame. Instead, Christ bids you come and die with him. God bless you. Thank you.